I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody is scared of losing their job, so they succumb to being time slaves while their debt keeps getting bigger and bigger as the global corporate oligarchs bathe in their spas of gold. We know the air is unfit to breathe with the chemtrails sprayed in the sky and lab-fabricated viruses passing from breath to breath. We all know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. We hide in our house and say, Please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my air fryer, my PlayStation, my iPhone, and TV, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. What should we do about the depression, the alcoholism, the addiction, the southern border, the UFOs and zero-point energy technology confiscated by the lunatics in our intelligence agencies, the wars, the human trafficking, or the evil incarnate which has infiltrated our government for decades, slowly and malevolently brainwashing the masses until they finally pulled the trigger for world domination. Project Bluebeam is imminent. Stand your ground. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. So I want you to get up out of your chairs and go to the window. Open it and stick your head out and yell, I'm a human being, goddammit! My life has value! Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the It Can't Be a Joke podcast. This is a place where we have open dialogue about a variety of different topics, such as non-human intelligence, corruption exposure, spirituality, and ancient history and mythology. Our mission is to expose the truths and knowledge that have been kept from humanity for all too long. With support and global consciousness, our aim is to bring down the military, pharmaceutical, banking, and oil industrial complexes who are responsible for endless wars and keeping half the world in poverty. I'm Melissa Green. And I'm Kevin Kelly. Let's blast off. Let's. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to part two of the truth behind 9-11. What you heard in the intro was Kevin's rendition of this famous speech from the 1976 Academy Award winning film, The Network. It's actually a really powerful scene from the movie and we thought it tied in perfectly with our message. And now we are going to continue our conversation in part two of this very important topic about corruption to its core. Now. We've talked about World Trade Center 1, 2, 7. Obviously, there's a couple other places where 9-11 did take place, and the Pentagon being one of them. And we don't really think about the Pentagon that much, but there's so much mystery that surrounds the Pentagon. And it's so crazy the location and what was blown up at the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. It's not just a Coinky dink. No. As some people... It would be the most... It would be the craziest coincidence in history if all of these things that line up were just a coincidence. I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into this piece. And yes. Yeah, even... I was hoping that you might be able to share a little bit. One of the first things that comes to mind was the 
flight path of the plane. It does this sharp, like 270 degree turn. And as we know, some of the men listed as hijackers of these planes were not even trained pilots. And most pilots will tell you that that kind of maneuver is almost impossible. And the best trained pilots can't even pull it off. So the fact that it had to navigate through DC to maneuver, to move, to hit the Pentagon is next to impossible. Hani Hanjur, the pilot, claimed to have flown into the building. There's a quote. He didn't care about the fact that he couldn't get through the course. That was the Arizona Flight School employee that stated that. So further proof Another quote from the flight school employee is, I'm amazed to this day still that he could have flown into the Pentagon, that he could fly at all. And that's, we're, we're getting that information from the New York Times, that this guy, he couldn't even pass flying school, basic stuff. And yeah. now he's taking a Boeing through DC and perfectly hitting the Pentagon. Just, it doesn't add up. No. Another thing that's crazy about this, it just pisses me off so much, if there was anything, they went and picked it up, and then they covered it all in dirt. A literal cover-up. A cover-up. They covered the entire Pentagon's lawn with dirt. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, my gosh. It's corruption to its core. They do it as if they know that they're going to get away with it. Either way, that all they could find was tiny, tiny slivers of bone fragments. What does that tell you? Yeah. That there was an explosion? That there was an explosion. That there was a bomb. Yep. Once again, cover up. We see you. <laughs> and could you also talk about Shanksville? Yeah. There was apparently debris found six miles away from the crash. There was just a hole in the ground from where the plane landed. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Like... Reading that, I'm just like, what are they even talking about? Six miles away? Of course, there were all of the officials at the Pentagon, like you said, covering stuff up with dirt and then placing this debris miles away. Shanksville is in Pennsylvania. And we know about the story where the members of the flight heroically took down got into the cockpit, they broke down the door, and they took the plane down. Rather than another huge catastrophic event like the World Trade Centers, they went down in Shanksville in a field, and just like you said, basically a hole in the ground. We can't find much or any, really, of the debris from the plane. And then they also find debris six miles away. And there were more important files in the Pentagon just like in World Trade Center 7, files about the John F. Kennedy case, video, cameras, footage. There were a lot of stuff destroyed like that in the Pentagon as well. And also in the Pentagon. Wasn't it trillions? Oh, yes. So this is another big part of the um, money scandal going on. And people were who were accountants and working at the Pentagon were constantly saying like, we could not get the numbers to equal out. We were always short money. And after 9-11, there was something like 
$3 trillion unaccounted for. So that was being investigated. So all of that is just gone. Disappeared. Never happened. Mm -hmm. No, we haven't been reverse engineering UFOs Mm -hmm. and cycling and funneling money to Lockheed and Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and Boeing. Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) Because it's all gone now because we just blew it up. Yeah, Lockheed was one of the big corporations that profited after 9-11. If you follow us on X, I'm always commenting on Lockheed's posts. It's fun. (laughs) it's pretty fun i got followed by two illuminati members yeah those were creepy so creepy we got we got our eyes on you another one of the most important parts of this whole story is norad yeah we talked about this earlier the north american aerospace defense command so we have one of the best if not the best aerospace defense command in the world Mm mm-hmm Now, according to standard operating procedures, if an FAA flight controller notices anything like a hijack, they need to contact a superior immediately. And if it cannot be fixed within a minute, they then contact NORAD to dispatch planes. So within a minute, fighter jets should be dispatched to handle the situation and take care of it. So, yeah, the job is then to scramble fighter jets. Interceptions will usually occur within 10 minutes, but in this case, 80 minutes before fighters went airborne. There's no checks here at all. The reason they didn't know where to go was because a number of war game exercises were taking place in which they had conflicting messages. So, on this very day... They, have, they were doing, like, tabletop exercises. They were doing training simulations for the people working there. What if there was to be a hijacked plane? And what if they were flying it towards World Trade Center or wherever? Like, the exact same scenario. Mm-hmm. So a part of that was inserting, inserting false radar blips, having different callers calling in and trying to, you know, work on the tabletop exercise. But then they have people actually calling in reporting the real issue that's happening, which is there's actually people who have been hijacked and there's things going on. And they don't know if it's real or if it's part of the fake exercise for training. So that's why it took so long for fighters to get up there because at the exact same day, the exact same time, they had an exercise for the exact scenario. It's... It's insane. This was called Vigilant Warrior. Richard Clark, in his book Against All Enemies, he recounts that there was a NORAD exercise going on called Vigilant Warrior. This is based on a comment from Richard Myers, made to Clark via a video link on September 11, 2001. This was a live fly hijack drill. On 9-11, there was 22 possible hijacks that was going on, and they could not decipher war games from real hijacks happening in the real time. So they couldn't, mm-hmm. they didn't know what to do. Once again, Google, emergency response to terrorism self-study. 
that you're going to see images. It's These are the type of exercise they did. The, they, they had 100% accuracy with intercepts up until 9-11, and they missed four that they missed they all missed of them. All. That... They completely failed on 9-11 up until then, 100% accuracy. Another strange coincidence that they missed all four of those planes. It does not add up. No. It's, it, it, has, it has conspiracy written all over it, but this isn't just a theory. So that there's a really, really important quote from the documentary also that I think is really good for people to listen to. We're going to play that real quick. Do you think some people in a cave, do you think some people in a cave were able to have NORAD stand down? Do you think that people in a cave were able to have all of this happen? That one really resonates with me too. You know, he's saying, do you really think that some, some men in a cave in the Middle East, we're able to coordinate this whole attack. Yeah, and get by all of the security in the no. U.S. That's no. There is no way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that that is NORAD and kind of what was going on from our defense standpoint that day. Another really important piece to this puzzle is the 9/11 Commission and what the hell was going. Yeah, first of all, Bush and Dick Cheney, or mm-hmm. Dick. Dick Cheney, former CEO of Halliburton, Bush and Cheney would not meet alone for questioning in front of the 9-11 Commission. They insisted on meeting together. They were not under oath. No press or family members were allowed to attend. No recording of any kind was allowed. Why people in the Illuminati, Freemasons, Skull and Bones, and the Cabal, just the laws don't apply to them. The law surpasses them. Bush didn't want to meet alone because he knew he would probably slip up and say the wrong thing. Like Dick Cheney knew everything in and out. George Bush was just a puppet. So that's why they always had to meet together. I think Cheney was really in charge of all the operations. And George Bush being a Bush, of course, is just like, oh, I want to be president. Like, just put me up there. Mm -hmm. Um, The commission report admitted it could not explain the collapse of Building 7 by not even mentioning it. There's been a lot of revisions. The commission report was huge. And they just kept shaving it down and down and down. They don't even mention World Trade Center 7. That's insane. It's not even in it. And it fully collapsed. A huge-ass building. A controlled demolition. And another thing in the 9-11 Commission, they deemed that trying to determine the origin of money for 9-11 was of little importance. They said it doesn't matter who paid for 9-11. And... The final report from the 9-11 Commission from Philip Zelikow. He could keep anything in the report. He could take stuff out of the report. He was part of Bush's team. He was part of the Bush Admin Council. Worked very closely with Condoleezza Rice. And he also wrote the preemptive war strategy that was eventually used in the war in Iraq. So Mm -hmm. Philip Zelikow, who is heading the 9-11 Commission... Mm-hmm. It's to say whatever he wants. This is a cover-up. 
there was nothing in there that the Bush administration didn't approve of. Yeah. So there you go. They get the final say. And then you have all of them since that. Every news channel, every radio station, it's war on terror. War on terror. Terrorism. Terrorism. Terror. Terror. Yes. Al-Qaeda. 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 Weapons of mass destruction. Mass destruction. Mass destruction. What was another one? Terrorist. Terrorists. Evil. Evil. No, George Bush called them evildoers. Evildoers. Like. Evildoers. Like he just made up that term like we're, you know, in a video game. Kevin, get the evildoers. Evildoers. Well, my God. So, I remember as a kid, terror instilled in my brain. Terrorism, terrorism. The terrorists did this and like how evil they are. I mean, that's, there. there's completely evil terrorists out there. We all know that. There's some evil fuckers. But everyone in the U.S. from the Middle East had to suffer because of it because people had all of these judgments about them in their country yeah. which sucks exactly. for those people innocent people they were then being labeled and mm-hmm. being chastised and pushed aside or you know just completely judged yeah because of this whole this whole thing a lot of people didn't even know like as a kid i didn't know i was also in fourth grade but like islam mm-hmm. i didn't even know what that was yet at that point that's yeah. when i learned about that religion and I feel like they really used this whole thing to instill fear in people. Look at the security that tightened up around at least our country at especially the airport. You know, it's one of the most nerve wracking places to be. And I feel like they just want to instill fear and make sure that everyone is living under fear. That weakens everybody's cognitive functioning they were also instilling in our our brains this is the brainwashing piece this is the mk ultra piece which we will dive into more very soon but the definitions of terrorism the systematic use of terror manifesting itself in violence or intimidation for generating fear also a technique used by governments to manipulate public opinion or order to further an agenda Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> We've got a winner, Johnny. No, but that was a huge, huge part of this. They wanted to terrorize the entire nation. They had to do something very, very devastating. And they wanted us scared shitless. Tying into some other terror attacks that have happened, in 1993, there was a World Trade Center attack as well. It's also claimed... The FBI helped build the bomb that the terrorists used in 1993. But they they didn't complete their job because they needed more people dead for anti-terror legislation. Two years later, in 1995, we have Oklahoma City, 168 people dead. And the anti-terror legislation is passed, which takes away a lot of our constitutional and civil liberties. And it's so crazy that when you look into this more, the terror attacks in London, terror attacks in Spain, the exact same thing happens where they're having these war games exercises, these tabletop exercises, conducting tests. If this, what if this situation was to happen and the exact same location, same thing as the World Trade Center, the exact same scenario is happening. So people are confused. It's 
It's making people live under fear so you can control them and you can push the agenda. So it happened in London. It happened in Europe, um, in Spain. So it, it, this, is, this is classic Nazi propaganda. And it's important for people to know that. So in regard to propaganda, I believe it is really important for people listening to hear of the warning calls echoed throughout our history. Charles Lindbergh was an American aviator and military officer. In 1927, he is the one who made the first nonstop flight from New York City to Paris over the Atlantic. And that took about 33 to 34 hours for him to complete. It became known as one of the most important flights in history and ushered in a new era of air transportation, connecting the globe in a more efficient manner than sailing. He had a strong voice in America and was celebrated throughout the Western world in the 20s and 30s. A really important note about Charles is that he supported the idea of American isolationism in foreign affairs. Like many Americans before the attack on Pearl Harbor, he opposed not only the military intervention of the U.S., but also the provision of military supplies to the British. He gives a speech on September 11th, 1941. It is called the Speech on Neutrality. Yeah, so the date was September 11th. That's interesting. Richard Nixon gave a big important speech on terrorism in 1970 on September 11th. Really? Yeah, that's when people say the age of terrorism really started. So I'm fascinated by those this date of 9-11, which always reminds me of 9-1-1. I don't know if that was an easy number for them to, like, remember, not only remember, but, like, sometimes they talk in code. Yeah, 9 9-1-1. I, I don't know. It's just, like, just kind of eerie that these things happened on 9-11, 9-1-1. So, basically, Lindbergh was predicting U.S. involvement because this happened before Pearl Harbor, this speech. In the speech, he's going to kind of compare World War One and the entry of the United States into World War One, especially with the sinking of the Lusitania ship that had a lot of Americans on it, which got which garnered us into the war. He's comparing what's going on right before U.S. the United States fully entered into the war, comparing it back to World War One and the kind of the propaganda that got us brought into that war too. Yeah. Um, so it, it does seem that he's he's a little bit predicting it. Hmm. Um, and it, it's really important to note that this speech occurred four months before Pearl Harbor and the entry of the United States officially into the war. Also, his speech was three years before the discovery of the concentration camps in Europe and Hitler's malevolent final solution. But he predicts such an event such as Pearl Harbor would happen. History shows us the American military knew of the incoming attacks on Pearl Harbor, yet they did not thwart it. They wanted us in the war. They needed the rally cry. And... It's also very interesting interesting to me that he in his speech he's kind of predicting something like Pearl Harbor going to happen. I'm going to I I do want to just read um I think some pretty important excerpts from the speech. In the speech he states the subterfuge and propaganda that exists in our country is obvious on every side. 
Tonight I shall try to pierce through a portion of it to the naked facts which lie beneath. When hostilities commenced in Europe in 1939, it was realized by these groups that the American people had no intention of entering the war. They knew it would be worse than useless to ask for a declaration of war at that time. But they believed that this country could be entered into the war in very much the same way we were entered into the last one. They planned first to prepare the United States for foreign war under the guise of American defense. Second, to involve us in the war step by step without our realization. Third, to create a series of incidents which would force us into the actual conflict. These plans were, of course, to be covered and assisted by the full power of their propaganda. Our theaters soon became filled with plays portraying the glory of war. Newsreels lost all semblance of objectivity. Newspapers and magazines began to lose advertising if they carried anti-war articles. A smear campaign was instituted against the individuals who opposed intervention. The terms fifth columnist, traitor, Nazi, and anti-Semitic were thrown ceaselessly at anyone who dared to suggest that it was not to the best interest of the United States to enter the war. Men lost their jobs if they were frankly anti-war. Many others dared no longer speak. And we were just having a conversation about how important history is, how important it is to know your history. Except it wasn't this fascinating in high school. We got the whitewashed version of things. And it basically, if it were this kind of information, who wouldn't be interested? History shows us as time goes on, as more you know details are uncovered, that's the whole fun part of history is fight, discovering these new events that transpired in our past and that set the stage for what happened and how we can learn from it. You know, that's the classic definition of history, you know, learning from the past to prevent it from happening in the future. So history has shown us in doing more research and pe- you know, people diving into it, that the United States military did know about the incoming attacks from the Japanese on Pearl Harbor, yet they did not stop it. They knew that an attack would get us fully into the war, and then Britain, you know, and France, but Britain being the big one here, could rely on us to carry a lot of the weight and to finish out the war. And it's, I understand Britain wanting us in the war, like we need you guys to help win. But I, I don't understand how the military could know of an attack happening, especially on their military or on their citizens, and not thwarting it and stopping it. Mm-hmm. That to me, it, it directly correlates to 9-11. Yeah. It's it's this it's almost the same scenario. Different but the same. Yes. They knew it was gonna happen, they allowed it to happen, uh-huh. thus getting us into World War II, thus getting us into the war on terror. Yes. This is, I feel like because the CIA and, you know, Hollywood got really big in the 50s and 60s, and I've heard from several people in the industry that the CIA has been involved in Hollywood from the get-go. So it sounds like this is when, because we're talking the 40s, this is when media, like newspapers especially, television, and then you mentioned movies were used to influence the masses. 
Yeah. This is kind of when it first started? Before. Even after. I mean, so movies started to become a thing. I don't know the exact date, but after World War One, maybe even during World War One, movies still, you know, silent movies. I think that that, this was like early 1900s, right? When those started to become a thing. Mm -hmm. Charlotte Chaplin. But that, exactly. And those would portray, you know, the glories of war. Still, to this day, I mean, I remember watching Pearl Harbor, the movie, when I was in like third grade. And I'm just like, look at how insane this is that this happened. Look at the guys fighting back. And it all could have been prevented. It could have been prevented. The United States, they could have just declared the war, but without having 3,000 people at Pearl Harbor get murdered, killed by an attack that we knew was coming. And you you were discussing the CIA and their involvement in Hollywood. And the CIA, and we're talking secret societies, Freemasons, Illuminati, Skull and Bones, they are infiltrated into the CIA too. They're in all the intelligence agencies and it's just like, they're they're writing the narrative and when you're when you're showing these movies to a to a kid especially they're like this is you know what a patriotic person would do they fight for their country mm-hmm. and they're like yeah like yeah. i wish i could have fought i remember i was like i wish i could have fought in world war ii because yeah you know, the well n- and they reinforce it in the media because i remember it was a few years four or five years after 9 11 there was a big movie that came out starring nicholas cage called world trade center so i just feel like they also reinforce it after the fact to keep people in that same state of mind like you're saying like yes i wanted this is the patriotic thing to do yes it's it's just it's everywhere exactly and that's why so many so many people are ready to go you know enter the war not only hollywood but just by seeing this on their tv and seeing exactly what happened people are furious everyone was furious yeah when this happened but i i think a lot of people didn't know the government's subterfuge and their secrecy and their their hidden agenda mm-hmm. yeah by these elite across the entire globe it's well and at that time when this media and television is so new what were they supposed to think it was propaganda they they wouldn't have known they don't know yet Mm-mm. they're at the point where okay they're giving us this information they're telling us the truth just like we talked about the term terrorism terror terrorist attacks what were some of the terms that started to get popularized uh, in, in the 40s. Yeah. yeah th- calling people, you know, that were opposing the war, mm-hmm. call them Nazis, call them anti-Semitic. Traitors. Traitor. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different things that people would be, they were getting smeared for not wanting to go to war, for wanting a peaceful stance, like, okay, we're on the other side of the, you know, the hemisphere here, or the other side of the world, and... We don't need to go fight in this war. But also, the people didn't know about the atrocities that were going on, that were going on, especially in Europe with the concentration camps. This wasn't known yet. That was, following this speech, that was a thing that came out to the public three years later, three years after this speech. So, so so Lindbergh, after this speech, he does... Yeah, what was his reaction? He, like, after the attacks on Pearl Harbor, 
he changes his his kind of viewpoint on not being isolationist anymore that we need to go to the war Mm -hmm. because germany declared war on us and japan did attack us even though he did kind of predict an attack from japan but then germany declared war so there's really no other option but he didn't know about the concentration camps until three years later when everyone else was becoming aware of that as well wow fdr would not re-enlist him though but he did fly a bunch of missions over the pacific theater as a civilian and apparently he was credited with shooting down a plane but he wasn't active in the military fdr was fdr was pissed at him he he was yeah exactly he because he was speaking isolationism to not have america not be involved in the war because we're not directly over there where we have a whole ocean dividing us mm-hmm. that's and i can understand that point of view you know that's a lot of people's point of views right now to this day that we don't need to be getting involved in the these foreign wars they're not our wars that's what a lot of people are thinking today so it kind of resonates back to what Lindbergh was talking about but he did change his stance because we were attacked and Germany's declaring war. So he's like, yeah, we have to go to war now at this point. Another important fact that I believe is important for people to understand about Lindbergh is that, yeah, he did change his his stance to being, yeah, we need to fight in this war, which I, I can completely understand. But he did not know about the American military knowing about the attacks that were going to happen at Pearl Harbor and not doing anything to thwart it. If he did know about that, I'm sure his chance, his stance would have changed. He would have been, if, if the American public knew about that, they'd be more pissed off at their own government for allowing that to happen than yeah. the war that's happening in Europe. Yeah. Um, but once again, we have to take ourselves back to this time because in 1941, they did not know about what Hitler was doing in the concentration camps they did not know that yet um but it's it's just crazy that they go to those circumstances to have our own soil be attacked american lives lost intentionally for an agenda to get into the war it's just it's not what we've been taught growing up it's not the history that they teach in in history books. It's not the it's not in the curriculum to talk about to talk about that. No. Um, so I do find that I do find that very strange, and the whole education system and who took control of the education system. We believe we read and we want to look more into this and talk about this. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Robert. Ba- Robert Maxwell by, you know, owning the educational books and presenting that information. Mm -hmm. I find that pretty messed up, but we we do need to look more into that. But I believe that that's um, the narrative that they're pushing. Here's the history that. Yeah. In in high school, they just scratch the surface and have you memorize some important dates. Right. And then you think, okay, yeah, here were the important things. Here's why we got involved. They leave out, exactly, they leave out the subterfuge, they leave out the deception, the lies. Um, My question to our listeners to ponder, how similar is Pearl Harbor, 9-11, smear campaigns, propaganda, and control of the media relating to the present day? In all the major events 
of our lives up to this very point. It is today that we know Tucker Carlson went over to Russia to interview Putin. What's he's doing journalism. I want to hear Putin's point of view. Yet yeah, now we he's only have one side and it's been that way for a long time. We have one side and now from what I'm reading, he's being put on Ukraine's most wanted list and the news media is blasting him for going over there. It's like, why are they blasting him? <laughs> they're, they're creating the division. I mean, that's a journalist job right? to go do that and get that information and educate the people. Just all those little details where people think, well, how could it be? Because we heard this and this, and I'm just like, that's, you heard it from the television. It's literally called tell a vision. Someone is telling a specific vision and it's not mine. They don't want the truth being no. known. They don't want the other side. They just want the, the brainwashing control that they can cast upon everyone in the Western world to stay the same. But it's, it's breaking and we can see it happening yeah. in real time. All of our tax dollars go to this corrupt stuff. So it really sucks. Yeah. And people suffer and it's disgusting. Your taxes that you don't get, a, they're not fixing your roads unless you live in Phoenix. They got good streets. <laughs> if you yeah. live in Massachusetts, you know it's not going to your streets. <laughs> no. you, you know it's, it's going to keeping the sky gray with those chemtrails sound effect. So much of what we have been told has been propaganda and lies. After World War II, over 1,600 Germans, many of whom were high-ranking Nazis, were recruited to the United States to work in aerospace, engineering, science, and technology. Please look up Operation Paperclip. These policies and beliefs have resonated into our intelligence agencies, especially surrounding mind control, brainwashing, and propaganda through media. On top of this, secret societies like Skull and Bones, the Illuminati, and Freemasons are pulling the strings, creating the narrative, and running the world behind a curtain. They need to be exposed and brought down. There is a point that these kooky conspiracy theories are no longer theories and just facts. But people still seem afraid of the truth, and that is what they want. They want us subservient. We can see now what is truly going on in the world and the lies and deceit cast upon us. No longer will we be your lab rats. We see you. Cognitive dissonance is the discomfort a person feels when their behavior does not align with their values or beliefs. Cognitive dissonance is a psychological phenomenon that occurs when a person holds two contradictory beliefs at the same time. For example, it's like doing something that you know is harmful to your health, but you just do it anyway. Cognitive dissonance builds more and more in someone's brain, especially when there's corruption involved and the reward is more power and more control. Thanks so much for tuning in to part two, The Truth on 9-11. Remember to follow us for updates. Just search for It Can't Be a Joke on Instagram, X, YouTube, and Patreon. What are your thoughts on this episode or stories you'd like to share with us? We want to hear from you. Shoot us an email at itcantbeajoke at gmail.com. And don't stop looking up.